the at sea podcast i am your host justin mccroberts and here's your co-host producer dan portnoy we are marching back through the book sacred strides looking at different chapters chapter by chapter we're on chapter four digging into elements of the book that uh well actually just kind of following the arrows that the book provides because when i write uh and i wrote this book i never really intend for a book to be a whole thing i intend for a book to point to other stuff in you or in the culture around you and so we're following those arrows and having conversations around them. So welcome. Hello, Dan. Hello. We just wrapped you? up a little conversation about Marvel stuff. So I'm all, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a little conflicted, which I, I have been for about two years on our Marvel things. I have deep hopes and, uh, and occasional joys. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if it's, am I conflicted about it? Because it, is it not as good or is it because it's not aimed at me? <laughs> and yeah. that's really the question because a that's lot really of it bad. is not aimed at me anymore and i nope. think that's okay i think is that's it super i feel okay. like it should be aimed at me <laughs> <laughs> well, i think that's the star like, wars problem i feel like i think that's i've invested so there. much emotional energy into this in, into this uh culture like that like they i i almost feel like that is i deserve better oh, wow. wow than we all deserve better than the eternals you didn't like eternals mm-hmm all right. Well, I'm going to leave that alone. I'm not okay. going to. Yeah. Chapter four. Chapter four. Here we are. Entitled Finding My Stride or Falling in Love with Work in Mexico. Yep. So I think the the first thing you have to do, though, to catch us up so we, we can have this conversation yeah, please. in and around all the references, I think you need to tell us um, uh, basically this, this story of, of you down in Mexicali with Doug and who Doug is and what yeah. you did. And, and that. So can you tell us that story? Yeah, absolutely. So I was at the time, uh, this is early, early in life for me. Uh, I think I was 19 ish, um, 19, 20, maybe early twenties. And I was, uh, doing young life work and I was playing a little bit of music. Most of the music I was doing wasn't like on the road, professional performance stuff. It was, I was leading songs. So if you're not a religious cat and you don't go to religious services, there's oftentimes a white guy with a guitar in the front who will uh, play, <laughs> be playing guitar and asking you to sing along. And that was me for a long time. I still do that some. Um, and uh, I was decent enough at it that I got jobs doing it. I was doing it at the church that I was helping to plant, et cetera. And Doug was, uh, was a youth pastor across town who I had mostly heard rumor of from people who really liked Doug. And when I'm, when I, this part isn't in the book, but you know, when I met Doug initially, like I didn't grow up around youth ministry and the whole youth pastor thing was sort of a, um, like it was a mystery to me because folks felt very conflicted about their youth pastor past. By the time I was 19 or 20, folks had been like through youth group and then had these like, the stories they got like semi-mythological stories about like the greatness or the horridness of their youth pastor and mm -hmm. doug as a person seemed to dodge both those narratives he was just this really thoughtful caring adult 
who wanted kids to be healthy and know they were loved by God. And I was, I was just, I liked Doug as a person. So he asked me to travel with he and a group of um, high school kids, about 200 high school kids, to a town in Mexicali, a town in Mexico called Mexicali. It's a border town. Um, it's about four and a half ish hours if you drive out of San Diego uh, to get to Mexicali. And, you know, telling the story now comes on the back end of like a whole lot of conversation about the, about the potentially negative effects of short-term missions that like folks will send like the white savior team to this poor Brown town in Mexico, do some stuff and then leave and go to Disneyland and feel like victors. Like, look, we solved poverty and helped Brown people. And meanwhile, like, what what has happened, this is the disastrous side of it. Meanwhile, what has happened is that we've ingrained in our white youth the notion of, to some degree, the white, the notion of white supremacy, that because you come from a wealthy white neighborhood, you automatically have something of value to offer people who live in impoverished, non-white areas of the country. So we sort of ingrain that. And that's one of the things we've talked about a lot over the course of the last 15, 20 years. Um, and or uh, along with that, we've sort of diminished the experience that people have living in towns like Mexicali or uh, that like what it looks like to live well where you live doesn't have to look like what it live what it looks like doesn't have to look the same as what it looks like for me to live well where I live. And so I by nature of showing up like the <laughs> the, the savior, I diminish your experience of life. Now, I know that now. I, I didn't know that then. I didn't know like, hey, short-term missions have a potentially disastrous effect on multiple cultures. And as I look back, um, what I know about Doug's execution over the course of years in Mexicali, again, like counters and undoes and dodges that. Because the way he went about his relationships with people within his own ministry and over the border of Mexicali was so profoundly different. He spent, uh, he would be in Mexicali 10 or 12 times a year, most of the, most of the time on his own um, because he had actual friends who were pastors. He had friends in local politics. He had friends among the local police. He had friends who were just friends. He would be in Mexicali multiple times a year visiting in relationship and in conversation. So that by the time he got there, the expression that he was offering wasn't like, hey, we are a wealthy white group of people from Walnut Creek, California, and therefore we automatically have something to offer you. It was, I've got some friends who live in this town, and I'm going to take some kids that I'm leading to go help my friends. And when he introduced us, um, the folks who went with him, to that place, it was about our growth and development. Like in other words, he didn't say like they need us. What he said was, this is an experience that you need for your own development and you need for your own well-being. Um, and it situated us in a position of learning and humility as opposed to a position of power and victory. And then they didn't go to Disneyland afterwards, <laughs> which is always like, ah, for better or for worse. Um, so that's the context is I didn't know that I was entering into this other person's 
like deep life work. It was just a, it, it was, it was a job and I took it and I got caught up in a windstorm of, of redemption and all kinds of other stuff. Okay. But the specific thing I'd like to talk about is like team, what did you call it? Team no sleep? <laughs> yes. Team. team uh, no what did sleep. I call it in the book? Um, um, I cannot remember what what I wrote in the book, but yeah, there was like a, a group of people. Team sleepless. Team, team sleepless. sleepless. That's what yes. it was. There's a group of people on the way down. Uh, we drove from where I am in the in the Bay Area, and it's about ten hours to the border. It's a long, long drive. And at some point, uh, I was asked by the folks in the van I was in if I was interested in joining Team Sleepless. And there was a group of folks who'd been on this trip, the mostly leaders. I think they're exclusively leaders who um, during the, the, the five days, four nights we were there, um, they would not sleep. Um, that they would go about their day and do the work and all the stuff. Um, and then when it came down to the end of the night, um, they would sit together, debrief the day, pray, talk, pray, talk, and then try to get through the night. Uh, praying. So the, the, the way I'm, I'm finding the section of the book right now, uh, that like the tail end of the night will look like this. It's like um, 7 a.m. organized song sheets, 7.30 sound check, 8 a.m. breakfast, 8.30 I would lead songs, 9.30 a.m. we'd leave uh, to different places in like in the area with folks doing service projects or what have you. And then we come back about 3 p.m. return to camp. I would try not to nap. Um, dinner at 5 o'clock. 7 p.m. I would organize song sheets. 7.30, uh, I would lead songs again and do the evening gathering. And then at 9 p.m., once all the the students were heading back to their tents and going to sleep, this group, Team Sleepless, would get together and sit around a fire and try to make our way all the way through the night in prayer and conversation. And it was amazing. Yeah, so so part of that sounds not that fun to me. Um <laughs> I mean, I, I get the, like, I've been in situations like that where you're totally spent. Uh, yeah. but, but the idea being that like, if somebody said, are you signing up for this? I'd be like, I, I'm not, I actually am not. And I don't know if that's just because I'm, uh, in, in my late forties now. So I'm like, I don't know yeah. if I'm signing up for that. And maybe I, I think that's a wiser move yeah. than, um, moves that I've made, uh, in at college age. Uh, but, um, so, but the but the thing that is interesting to me is that you come out of this, and you you loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that, I would, seems, that seems odd. Well, um, I was. I mean, it wasn't the you know, in in my early twenties, like it wasn't the only time I'd spent. I you know been up all night, right? Sure. I mean, I've been up all night doing homework. I'd been sure. up all night playing. I think I've told you the story, like when mm -hmm. like the very first console. Uh, I got to buy with my own money as I got the Super, Nin Super Nintendo, mm -hmm. and it came, I think, with with a with Super Mario Bros. Oh yeah! And I stayed up more than one night in a row so that I could finish the game. <laughs> like I like so I had been, and these are all different ways to spend myself, right? I spend sure. myself doing homework. I spend myself doing video games. Right. In my early twenties, I know this now. You're, you're right when you point out, like, well, I'm in my, I'm you know, I'm a, I'll be fifty in a couple of weeks here. Uh, in a few weeks here, but like, yeah, that doesn't sound as appealing now, but in my early twenties, I had just crap tons of energy and availability. And 
the the question I'm being asked by the cultures around me is like, how how do you want to spend that time and energy? I don't know that that's what's being put on me at the time, right? That's what, like, it's not. I don't know that I'm being asked a question by by my university. I just know I'm supposed to do things. But the question I'm being asked asked is like, you know, do you have availability to be up all night to spend lots and lots of time? becoming the student we need you to be. And I, I don't know that by the media culture around me, like the question I'm at, I'm being asked is like, can you spend your time and energy here? I don't know I'm being asked that question. But really what's happening in my early 20s, the question is like, how do I want to spend, how am I going to spend all this time, energy and availability I have? And I loved uh, saying yes to this. So the, the way I wrote it in the book, I said, um, I had so much fun. I loved every minute of it. But more than just enjoying my time, I felt very, very alive, which is one of the differences between like staying up all night doing homework and to some degree, even like staying up all night to finish like your first run on Halo, which was like the other time I did. Like I, you know, got, <laughs> got the Xbox with the hard drive, had Halo 2. I was like, I'm going to finish this game. Okay. Um, and what I wrote here is I said, it's possible you've heard the St. Irenaeus expression, the glory of God is a man fully alive. And that was me that week. I was entirely in my element between music and conversation and the physical labor. That week was the closest I'd felt to anything resembling St. Irenaeus' expression. And it was the work I was doing that got me there. I don't think I would have articulated it quite this way at the time, but I know now that I was deeply and regularly connected to God and those around me. So did I have time and energy available to stay up all night doing things? Yeah, like I'm 20, 22, whatever I was at the time got tons of time and energy and like i'm not gonna suffer deeply like in the days to come because i i'm emotionally at the time made of rubber and i'll come back right but the experience of like giving myself over to that kind of work in in the context of of doug's life and to prayer i was able to touch base with like with this kind of i don't want to call it an energy uh, but this, like, uh, I don't know, this electricity of, gosh, it feels so good to spend myself that way, to be yeah. exhausted. Because there is there is that sort of, like, drive. There's a really good feeling of, like, there's a good – it can feel really good to be exhausted. But to be exhausted uh, doing that felt really, really good, and I felt really alive. Yeah, that's and I think that um, it's funny as, as you were talking, I was thinking about like, yeah, I don't have as much time or energy to devote, but it maybe that's really more the question of like, what are you going to do with it versus uh, which I had much more time in my young 20s than I do right now. Yeah, but there are still days that I can feel exactly that same way of like, no, yes. no, no, I made, I made some good choices, you know, like this was this was good, you know, uh, you know, if I'm working on a project and we just like kill ourselves trying to get it done and we make the the big steps i'm like okay yes this was yeah this was good day. it was a good day i'm tired but a lot yeah. of the days i get home and i'm tired you know so that's not really the question it's just more like how do i feel about how i spent my 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 time so that i think that's pretty interesting yes. um the the one of the things that you 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 talk about there was um that you were happy being me and not in some kind of ego driven way. I liked who I must be in order to have been gifted such a special experience. And so I think that's the upside of like, hmm. yeah, definitely the, 
short-term missions has, uh, and it is really interesting because honestly, I think that 20 years, 15 years ago, conversate 20 years ago of just like, oh, I didn't even realize that I, this could be bad, that white savior idea. And, um, cause I've yep. done short-term mission stuff, whether it's, you know, just like I be growing up in Boston, we would go to Philly and we would just like, we would work, you know, or do something in Philly just because it was different than Boston. Cause we yep. could just drive into Boston and it'd be like, all right, but we're going to go to the, we're going to go to Philly and we're going to work with a homeless shelter there and that, and we're going to stay at the shelter and it's going to be a whole thing. And that was actually really awesome. But in, and it was also very awesome because the guy, the guy, uh, well, I think everybody realized that it was, it was a lot more about us at 14 and 15 yeah. changing, experiencing yeah. something and really like coming up against something and, and really kind of taking a big uh, hunk off us, if that, yes. you know, kind of smooth the edges of, of something. So that was uh, such a, a big deal. When you start talking cross-cultural, I think it does go really different really quick. And I think the sensitivity to being like, you're a person, I'm a person. Um, I'm not here to tell you that I'm better. Uh, yep. But I think that, that um, but there are helps that we can do um, yeah. that, that do make a difference. But I do think like, well, and I just think, you know, culture cross-culturally cultures have been smashing into each other for a long time and it's more about hospitality and yep and than anything i think yep. more than 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 anything else about like you know showing off your cash money or a trip to disneyland which i did not know was a thing um because you know growing up in boston we didn't just go to disneyland when we could no. um or drive by it you know no, it's a kind of a california way. thing i guess yeah so i mean cool but wow um the other thing you talk about here is um, just like uh, you, you give this quote, just like there's a particular depth of peace that comes with being well rested. There's a particular and unique joy that comes with being well spent. So I think that that uh, we've spent like three chapters here talking about rest. Yeah. Probably that's been out front and center yes. about rest. And now we're taught and now you're kind of switching gears and we're talking about work. And I think yeah. it's interesting because we you actually haven't used the word work at all in mm. this so far you just said spent yeah. uh because we're we are working on stuff all like because i don't necessarily think like i'm working like this just recently it was like i was the chauffeur for my kids homecoming you know and i was yeah and i drove a whole bunch of kids down and i was just the chauffeur and it was fine and we you know i was super spent at the end of that yeah. was that work kinda but yeah. it was more like it was just like being which is kind yeah, of inter okay. interesting. That was just like, yeah, I'm just taking care of my biz with my kid and I want to make sure that she's all right. And yeah, and the other kids that are running around and then the other parent, you know, of course the other parents were like, thank you. And I was getting high fives and, you know, whatever. Um, for They were like, you stay up late. Sounds great. I'm going to go to home and go to bed. Um, and they, they weren't worried about stuff. So it is interesting that I don't, I was spent at the end of the night, but I was yeah. just like, yep, that was good. That was a really good thing to to do. So, so how does i guess the well rested versus being well spent yep they're both expressions is that is that what you would say um they're both expressions they're both practices i mean this is part of part, you know, one of the things i I'm, I'm going hard after in the book is that rest is not um rest is not the thing that rescues us from the drudgery of work that re mm -hmm. like the, that what we're chasing in rest, what we're desiring in rest is a sense of aliveness, a sense of wholeness, uh, a sense of completion, 
um, and that we chase that exact same thing differently in work. That that they're both. So the, the the you know going back to the Parker Palmer quote that you know the both action and contemplation are rooted in the same place, which is a relentless desire to be fully alive. I experience that if I rest well. I experience being present, and folks talk about this all the time when we talk about rest culture. And this is the issue I have with a lot of uh, self help or self care culture, is that it's 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 the me centeredness of. Like, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to have a me day. I've got to get rest. I've got to get more space. I have to have more margin. And all those things are gateways to, to the kind of life that my soul is begging for. I want to feel more fully alive. And so I need to get more margin. I need more space. I need to have a me day, all that kind of stuff. That's not wrong. But part of what ends up happening is, is, is we tell that story that way. We make work an enemy. That if I'm if I'm expending myself, if I'm working almost in any way, shape, or form, like that's a thing I'm going to have to recover from by way of rest. And I think that's a shit way to think about how my life is actually structured, because my soul, my heart, my soul, my, my like I want to work in the, for the same reason I want to rest is because I want to feel fully alive. And the more that self help and self care culture makes an enemy of work like the further down the line we can, we go like ignoring a really healthy part of our souls that part of being fully alive is looking up at the, is looking up from pure exhaustion being just wrecked and looking back at the hours i spent and how did i get here and and being able to trace my steps back and say like i'm so glad i did that i'm so glad i did that I'm so glad I did that, and I'm so glad I did that, and I'm so happy I'm as tired as I am right now because I know how I got here, and it was all good. That is as much and as an expression of desire and a practice of whole lifeness as being fully rested. It's one of the core elements of the book is getting after that. Okay, and like the, while you were saying that, I was the thing I was thinking about was like. Also, when you're when you're talking about work and you're talking about feeling good at the at the end of it, I think the it would be easy to say, well, because I'm doing work that I find fulfilling. Yes. And but what if you're not like what I I don't is that um, yeah it's good is that a case where we are uh, is, is that an exception because uh, no. I kind of don't think so but no it's a process I mean, and and part of how, part of what we learn only by doing work and paying attention to ourselves is like you you are um, not all work is going to be satisfied satisfying to every person or every person's soul but the only way to figure that out is by doing work getting spent having a conversation spending yourself do it by doing work and then having conversations with a coach, with a spiritual director, with a caring friend, with a community, with a mentor and saying, I love this. I don't like this. Again, getting in that place of like, go spend yourself. And this is what, this is part of why I tell the story in the book is for young, for, for my younger readers, all like four of them, um, <laughs> for my younger readers, almost everyone who reads my stuff is like right around my age. But if you are a younger reader or if you're a podcast listener and you're in your twenties or your thirties, like now is the time. You do have oodles and oodles of energy that, and Dan's going to nod his head when I say this, you will not get that back. You don't get, this is, I mean, this is like solar energy for God's sake. Like it's there, it's available. You can use it right when you get it, but there isn't a way to capture it and then save it till your sixties. That's not how it works. You've got time, energy, and availability now 
that you will never get back. Use that time by spending yourself as fully and completely as you possibly can in all the best ways you can imagine so that by the time you're in your later 30s, early 40s, you've learned the lesson of like, I can spend myself here or spend myself here. Here, I can do and I'm okay. Here when I do, I feel so fully and completely alive. The only way to learn that, only way to learn that is by doing it. It's like getting on the court and taking 150 jump shots and figuring out, one, this is th- like, I'm just not a three-point guy. I'm just not. I'm just, I can't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have like my elbow hurts or whatever. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm more of like a kind of internal perimeter guy. I'm more of a 17 foot jumper guy or like I'm a, I'm, I'm an inside the paint guy. And that's what, like the only, literally the only way to learn yourself as an athlete is by doing the thing, figuring out what works for you and what's best for you. That's it. So our, the energy we have in our twenties and early thirties ought to be spent. I'm literally saying this, like I'm, I'm very rarely this prescriptive. The energy we have in our 20s and 30s and our availability ought to be spent on experimentation, on adventure, on like, like overdoing it. Get as tired as you possibly can in your 20s trying everything. So that by the time it, like you actually have to like pin stuff to pay for life, you know what brings you life. So that's the long answer to like, yeah, some work isn't life-giving. But damn, bro, you don't want to be trying to figure out what it is you love doing when you're 56 and like you owe $3,500 a month just to keep your damn house. You don't Mm. want to be there. You want to know by the time you have to make that kind of money, like what it is you do that brings you joy. So spend the time and the energy in your 20s figuring that out. Yeah, I often go to the basketball uh court and learn that I am not good at it at all. So it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really matter um, whether I am uh, in the paint. It's more like, Hey, this seems cool. I'll be here on the bench and watch. Great guys. Everybody go. Um, yeah. Then that's what I learned in my twenties. Um, yep. So uh, I think that, that, that it is interesting how much is like, yeah, you, that cup just keeps filling back up automatically in your twenties. And I, and I do love that. And and I tell it to every person who I know that is graduating, like in and around my kid's age and and my community here of just like, yeah, you should just do anything that you like, just try everything. It's, it's going to be awesome. You're going to learn, you're going to hate stuff. Um, you're going to, you know, but just the idea that like, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a poop show on purpose. Like just, yes, and 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 there's no expectation, and that I, I think, and I, I wonder as a parent, as my kids get into their twenties, because uh, it's starting to to be like, I have to have no expectations on what's happening, because that's and that's probably the smartest idea of like, yep. yeah, just make sure you can live, but like, just do everything yep. and everything. Uh, yeah, is, it's what I mean. Again, the the it, the question on the table most of the time is like, how are you how how are you going to spend yourself? Yeah. Like what, like you can insofar, and this is not true of absolutely everybody, but it's true of way more, way more people than, uh, than people give themselves credit for. You probably have, let's say again, we're talking to the, the, the listeners and the readers who are in their twenties and early thirties. You really do right now have a much more significant safety net than you give yourself credit for. And something in your life is probably telling you to be afraid. Something in your life is probably telling you to play it conservative and play it safe and get it right now. I'm going to tell you that not just because I'm turning 50, but because I sit I sit with people in their 60s and 70s now who are wishing to God 
that they had spent their 20s and their 30s experimenting, playing around, figuring things out because they are trapped now in their 60s doing work they don't love and they're trapped because they like they played it conservative, they played it responsible and just did the right thing and never learned their own joy. You don't want to live there. You don't want to end up there because at some point it all ends, literally all of it. And what will have mattered is if you were fully alive while you were here. So figure yeah. that out. Figure out what it feels like. And that's why I tell this story. It's like what I figured out while I was in Mexico was like, oh, that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like to be like super spent and fully alive. And I have spent the rest of my vocational life chasing that feeling. Like I don't want it's it, it, I don't want anything else. It's like finding that food. It's like finding that coffee drink. It's like finding that thing. It's like I, that's all I'm I'm now. I, I'm obsessed by that. I, I will chase that. I don't want another. I don't want another thing. That's the thing I want, and that's what I've spent my my vocational life since then doing. What takes me to the place where I'm spending the best of my energies? I am exhausted and done when I'm done, and I feel fully alive when I'm doing it. And if it's not that, I'm just not going to do it anymore. Great. Now, one of the things that I think you also add in is this uh, is on the on the spiritual side that. Uh, you 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 make this quote, but was what was offered to me uh, by God sounded less like you'll be good with these tasks and something more like, come join me here. I want you to feel what I feel when you work with me. So the the idea that there's this invitation yeah. that's being given, but I don't. The other thing that I I think is is always confounding in the in the twenties because people start saying, well, what's God's will for my life, and <laughs> and everybody just like, and then they're stuck because they're like the quicksand of navel gaze. Um, yes. because yep. I can't figure it out versus yep. my, the thing that I just love was like, um, do, do you remember what the, look at the book of Acts. They were like, well, we're not really sure what we're supposed to do. So let's literally cast lots, which I think is yep. hilarious. Of just like, I'm going to so draw good, straws. So gonna good. Draw, let's pray about it real quick. Let's yep. pray. Then yep. we're going to draw straws. Then we're going to do a thing. Go. And well, like, and this is this is that fundamental spiritual. Th this is the fundamental spiritual narrative shift. Um, there are two. There are two primary cultural narrative shifts that I'm I'm after in the book, and the one has to do with like nixing the 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 contentiousness between work and rest. Like I need, I want to, I want to kill that with a fork, mm -hmm. uh, a spork. I want to kill it with a spork. So a it's spork. messy and so it's messy and comical at the same time. The other one has to do with this narrative shift, the spiritual narrative shift around the, around the notion that God really needs to get some shit done and needs your help doing it. Yeah. Like stop. No, no. What, if there is a desire at the core of all things, if the core of all things, if God has a particular desire for your life, it is that you would be fully alive, happy and in, and in relationship with God. That's it. That's literally it. If I believe what I believe about God to be true, which is that God holds all things together and will finish all good works according to God's own time and power, and that God alone is capable of accomplishing the things that God has set out to do, then my responsibility is to be obedient to God and God's will. And if I pay attention to the work of God over years, what I notice is that God's, God's heart is, God's desire is the development and the fulfillment and the joy of the people that he is working with. You being fully alive. Does God need to get things done? Yeah, man, I don't know. Ask God. Does God want to get things done to get stuff done through you? 
yeah, like we don't get to say that and and talk about how like corrupt and all that kind of stuff we are. Like we don't get to do that. What we get to do is say God's desire for me is that I would be fully alive and happy, joyous, the most complete version of myself as he's forming me into and in a relationship with God. And that anything God's inviting me into is an invitation to that. I'm not necessary for the restoration of the planet. I'm not necessary for the for the reconciliation of all things to God through Christ. Come on. What I'm what I'm what I'm necessary to is the development and the and the completion of God's work in me. That's the ballgame. And that's literally all there is. And everything on the other side of it is God's to do. Yeah, the the thing I like to um, say is that he's it's really only two questions. It's go play outside. And so the question is like, well, are you outside? And if mm. the answer is no, then you need to go outside. And it's then good. if the if the if are are you playing is the other one. And if you aren't, then go play like just that whole idea of like yes. it it's actually much more simple than I think we try and figure it out. And I feel like every pastor, and I don't I don't want to throw every pastor under the bus, but I feel like as soon as it's like discern God's will for your life, there's like three points in a poem and you have it's like years and you have to like go away and there's like an uh, there's monks and yes. there's like a the, you're you're in sackcloth and ash of some sort yeah. as opposed to just like no 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 just what do you like doing? Like if we if we yes. say that God is is all that we say he is, uh then aren't our desires part of that? Like I just don't. And, and, aren't, and aren't our desires part of what God has established in us? In other words, to trust to trust the ongoing quiet work of God in your heart, soul, and your mind. In other words, like what on earth makes you think? What on earth would make what on earth would make me think that I was aware enough of the work of God in Christ in me? I was aware enough and wise enough to know like this is what God has established in me. Like, what makes me think that? What makes me think like I'm the best discerner of that? Part of what I get to part of what I get to trust is like my if God is at work, is that part of what I get to trust is that God is actually at work in me all the time, which is to say far more often than I figure, and in ways I could not imagine, and in places that I don't like, you know, that I don't want to even go. And one of the places I don't want to go, some of this has to do with the culture we're born into, some of this has to do with just being a human, is I don't trust my own desires. But it is my will that God is shaping more so than anything else. So specifically and particularly, once I get into, this is why experimentation in your 20s and 30s is so important, is because part of what, you, part of what we learn in that time is we go chase the things we want. And the thing we learn to trust by the time we get on the other side of our 20s and 30s is that actually my desires, the core of my desires, aren't actually corrupt. There are choices I've made and mistakes I've made or misinterpretations of the things that I want that have led me down pathways that like probably weren't great. But at the core of this, like what I want is to feel fully alive. And I want to feel, I want to feel fully alive. I want to feel useful and purposeful in the world. I want to do work that's meaningful. I want to feel like God is pleased with me. I want to be in a relationship with people who like me. Like these are all rooted in my desires. Learning to trust our desires quite literally only happens in a relationship with God over time in the practice of work. That's it. I don't, I don't get to that by, by like <laughs> removing myself to the desert and not doing anything. Some well, cats, think, some cats can do that. That's probably not you. 
Right, but it's also it's also, um, and I feel like the correction part comes in from being in community because then yeah, if you've got if you've got voices next to you going, hey, 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 you're what what are you doing? Like yeah. it's just it's off. Not not people that are trying like because you have to be careful because I feel like if you are going for something that's your dreams, for example, or you're chasing yeah. after something that you really love, I feel like there's a whole group of people that have given up on their dreams and they try to talk you out of doing yours. Um, yes. So there's that voice. Yep. And that is a very sad voice, but it's a very real one. Yes, it um, is. It's a very real one, but and and it's usually crowded around money and stability, yep. uh, because the fear is there. Uh, yep. But then, secondly, um, is is the just that that strong voice that's going, okay, I think you're close, you're doing well, mm. or maybe this idea that you're supposed to be the end all be all of uh, creation, maybe that's not good because that's not how. <laughs> this works um yep. you know like it you're you're too self-centered about yep. what you're chasing or after. feeling too or feeling too responsible to the yes. mission itself or to the externals yes um which and, and here and here we go and this again the part of what the story gets to is like it wasn't my thing it was doug's thing so i was de i was decentralized like there it wasn't like hey we're going on a retreat with justin mcrobertson it's the justin mcrobert shows it was like lit like doug's world Doug's relationships, Doug's mission, like Doug's context, I was decentralized. And so like being about being about me, Doug was making it about me. He literally invited me on the trip because he wanted me to have that kind of experience in the same way that he invited those kids on the trip. And I love this. This is what I try and get to earlier. Doug knew that like the most value there was going to be for these kids and for me on the trip was who we became as we were doing it. That was the value. Right. He didn't put on airs that like if we can get this group of 200 white kids and Justin McRoberts to Mexicali, Mexico, we will bring about revival and most likely potentially the second coming of Christ itself. Like that was not that <laughs> like that wasn't in his thing. What his what his thing was is like, this is a good work. I know it's a good work because I'm doing it. So he was doing the work and he was attentive to the work of the spirit in him. I'm going to invite other people into this work and what I'm going to trust is that in this context, God's going to establish work in the lives and the hearts and the minds of these kids, including McRoberts, that wouldn't be done, it wouldn't that wouldn't get done otherwise. He made it about us. He didn't make it, and this is the other way to be selfish, he didn't make it about like my power and my ability and my execution. Like, well, we got to get him down there because he'll he'll kill it. No, he wanted to get me down there because he knew it would change my life. In your in your ministry. Also. In my ministry. No. Um, I think that's, that's, uh, I think the other thing that's really cool about it is that like, as much as, so you get to experience this thing, but it wasn't really, it wasn't about like, and now you have this heart for the people of Mexicali and no. you have to keep going down there. Like that wasn't your thing, but what was in there was this, this through line of like, oh, I've experienced something now that I, when you experience it again, you're like, okay, it's kind of something to chase a little bit yep. instead of just, um, like oh it's it's only available there in Mexicali yep. uh, and under these circumstances it's much more about like you're being invited into do a thing or to to stretch yourself um, yes. that that much more um, you you say this good work uh, or action has provided me uh, that sense of aliveness in ways that contemplation in prayer or silence or just about any form of devotion simply does not so yep. the the working things out and I think that that tension of like yes be rested. 
be yes. present and rested and do that thing. But like also no, because I, I just feel like in general, and I, I do this, uh, have this conversation with my kids all the time because they're very active with school. They're moving like crazy. They're just like super spent, super spent. And I'll be like, okay, so the Sunday, there's not ha anything happening or Saturday, there's nothing, anything happening. I think you should probably just chill out. Yep. And they'll be like, okay, well, what does that look like? And so then we're having that conversation of like, yep. it might not be throw yourself down a media hole of just cruise on Netflix yeah. all day. That's yeah. probably not going to do it. Um, no. But what are the things that, that are going to uh, restore you um, in yep. a, those moments? So um, I guess in the, in the good work uh, kind of thing that your, your action is, is giving you more of a sense of aliveness. What are, what are some ways that we can like do that? I mean, yeah. So maybe I'm not in my twenties and thirties now yep. and I've, I've experienced some things, but what, what now? Yeah. Especially if we're deeper into life, um, you got to get some help, uh, because the voices of the voices around us and the cultural pressures, institutional, the very real life pressures around us. Um, if I am, if I'm not practiced at this, uh, by the, you know, into my thirties, forties, fifties, um, I'm going to need a lot of help because the, because the voices of hyper responsibility and utility, yeah, they've got their claws in you. And that's just, that's just true. And so you're going to need help, uh, get some, get help, get a spiritual director, get a coach. And what those folks will do is help you pay attention as best you can, as best they can to the voice of God in your life so that you can distinguish between, this is such a key piece, you can distinguish between the general sense of obligation and responsibility because we, and well, so I'll finish the sentence first, between the general sense of obligation and responsibility and the voice of the divine. What we tend to do in hyper-responsible cultures and in our hyper-responsible lives is we tend to conflate these two things. That so long as I'm being responsible and getting my bills paid, so long as I'm getting, so long as I'm contributing to the bottom line, so long as I'm tithing, so long as I'm doing all my responsible stuff, then I'm, then I'm most likely squarely in the will of God. And what I miss when I believe that is I miss that the will of God is the development and the wholeness, the happiness, and the joy of you. You are the thing God is chasing. You being fully alive is the God thing, is the thing God wants, not you contributing, being responsible, paying your mortgage. Odd as it sounds, God's concern about you paying your mortgage is entirely predicated on whether or not being able to pay your mortgage is the thing that brings you long-term joy and fulfillment as a person. That's it. So um, get someone who can help you distinguish between those two voices. And as, as you learn to distinguish between those two voices, between the voice of general responsibility uh, and, and, and obligation, versus the voice of God in your life, part of what you'll have to do by doing that is the parsing line is going to be about desire. What is it that you are not doing that you really wish you were? Like, how are you not, how are you wishing you were spending your time in your life that you're not spending your time, that you're not doing yet? Will become one of those questions. It, it's, it is a relentless and, and consistent consideration with folks in their 60s, 70s. It's why we have, a, it's why we have midlife crises is because you know it's because I have not been doing the things that are in my guts to actually want to do, but I don't really think I can do those. So it's going to be the Corvette or the Ferrari. I'm like, oh god, it's like it's, boy, you missed you missed that one too. So that's how that works. Go get some help yeah. and, and learn to parse those things, and let's start making a plan for how to go chase things that are deeper in your heart 
that are like actually rooted in your soul's desires. Great. Great. Um, last, last quote that you, you say in this is being fully alive. Isn't all about being well-rested. Sometimes it's being well-spent more than that. Belovedness isn't a static reality. It is a lived and embodied reality. Um, so we've got now we're we're getting kind of this this tension that we're we're starting to talk about. So it isn't just like the pendulum swing because I, I do think it was like it was was it was it pre COVID it was everything was like the rise and grind kind of thing. Yep. And that happened for like two years and then there was yep. a pendulum swift that or swing to, back to um, rest culture and and self care and it was like self care self care self care. Then COVID happened and everyone was like. I literally don't know what to do with my life because what the crud is happening <laughs> yep. um, and the whole world is shutting down or I'm, you know, working my crud job, trying to get through this whole thing, staring fear in the eyes of every human soul I'm seeing. Um, and now we're just kind of like, I don't know what to do Yeah, because I'm supposed to work really hard. But there's not, I think in some ways it's like COVID showed us is like, there's no guarantees, no guarantees. And I think that in as much as that's horrifying is great um, because yep. if the, if there's no guarantees, then we need to live a certain way um, because there's no guarantees. Then yep. that mm -hmm. I think is a, a really good thing. Um, how do we, uh, yeah, I, I guess pushing into being well spent. Um, and I think that the interesting thing would be like, if you're, if you haven't done a lot of experimentation in your twenties and thirties, the time that you'd have to be well spent gets smaller. Yes. Um, but it also still means experimentation. Yes. And, um, and that can still be very joy bringing and, and life giving, yeah. um, even though you're, you're spent. What, um, I mean, I know, talking about coaches talking about, um, I guess it's just like, I, I'm, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that these are good bookends, but um, yeah, it's just how do we make sure in terms of a community, do you have to get louder with your community and say, hey, this is something that I'm going to be doing and I would mm -hmm. like your input on, or I'm going to be, you know, beyond the coach piece because you That's still good. have to involve the people around you of like, this is yeah. some stuff I'm thinking about, as opposed to we could continue the, the normal mundane conversation of just like, so uh, your smoked meats look good. Nice. Keep your <laughs> barbecue going. Um, as opposed to like, hey, I'm, I'm trying a thing. I want to do a thing. Because I think when, when you were talking about like um, the voice of God in our lives, and yep. the, it, it's always the interesting part to me is usually it's the voice that's um, in, in my own life is not, it doesn't sound exactly like me. It sounds no. some, sometimes similar, but it's yep. not, it's usually still like, I just, and, and maybe this is just kind of a weird thing internally, but it's like, it's about 85% me. It's yeah. like, but there's 15% going, no, 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 no. Yeah. You gotta, you I know, think, like pushing me and pull you know, and, and making me uncomfortable. I think the computer, the communal piece is, 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 is key and vital. And we got to a little bit of this earlier is um, it's hard to make sure of this, but yeah, I mean, you do want to be surrounded by people surrounded by you probably not. Very few of us are surrounded by good people. Um, you want to have people in your life, some people in your life, who have have done enough of their own work that they can actually be good to you, and they're not pushing their like uh, not even agenda, but like their their fears on you. That's that's that is that's hard to figure out. But 
um, with folks around you who do care about you. It's a spouse, it's a sibling, it's a best friend. Um, it could be, you know, work partner, whatever is start having conversations with the folks around you, which I have to have pretty regularly with, with my world because I've like been taking almost nothing but risks since I was 23 on my work choices isn't is you know saying this is this is you know this is what i'm wanting to do this is what i'm pursuing this is what I'm, and and to offer that as a conversation to offer it like hey this will affect you i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the road with a ska band um i'm gonna i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get in a bus and i'm gonna drive to chicago and i'm gonna start a 48 show tour with a ska band um how does that sit with you <laughs> Uh, but to have those conversations, like I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about spending uh, $20,000 on this master's degree thing. How does that sit with you? No, and not asking so much permission, but to sort of test the waters of the folks around you and look for it like it is, as a discernment tool. Because of the folk, what, what oftentimes happens is the voice of hyper-responsibility, which is sometimes the voice of the Antichrist, um, will like will convince you that anything you want to do. This is this is also very uh, the war of art. Um, and it, it will convince you that anything you want to do that actually like uh, works towards angles itself towards the betterment of your soul. That's probably not a good idea. Like the voice of high responsibility. So like yeah, don't do that. And then when you, and, and and don't even ask your friends about it. This is the other thing it'll say is don't ask your friends about it because you're going to get embarrassed. And you're going to look like an idiot. Yeah, you look and foolish. You're going to look foolish. What happens, and I'm saying this as a coach who's who's pushed this on folks hard, and then they go to their friends, and they go to their spouses, specifically spouses, and they go to their loved ones, and they say, I want to try this experiment. And their loved one goes, oh, thank God. I have been waiting for you to make this, to take this risk, because you are not happy, and I really want you to be happy. If you're, if you're surrounded by people who actually love you, part of what you hear is a discernment process when you bring joyful risks to those people. And they'll, and they'll say, homie, um, I trust you to hold shit together because you've done that. I know you can and I know you will because you've chosen to do that for us, for your family, for the company. I want you happy. And if you need to take five to 10 hours a, a week now to go do this other thing, what do I need to do to support you in that? I'm telling you 95% of the time, that's what we find out when we, when we go outside and we start, <clears throat> we start asking the folks around us about the risks we wanna take. I miss it in my 20s. I didn't do it in my 30s. I'm 40, 50, 56, 57, 60, you know, 60. I need to ask the responsible people around my life. I wanna try this experiment. And they're gonna they're gonna want it for you, because this is the shape of the human soul. It's not just you; it's literally everyone. Because we were designed to live in joy and in fullness, and is the desire of God for humanity. So when you ask loving people around you, they have that desire too, because that's the way they were designed. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I think we should call it there. That, Let's call it there. That's a uh, that's a good uh, chapter four. So next time, chapter five. Chapter five. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Etsy Podcast. 
I'm your host, Justin Roberts. This is my friend Dan, who is the producer of the At Sea Podcast. If you would like to contribute to this work that we are doing, you can jump to patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts and join this team. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Keep listening. We'll bring the best we can uh, to those folks and to you. Um, also, most of this uh, conversation, almost all this conversation is predicated on stuff that's happening in the book called Sacred Strides. I want you to buy the book um, if this is touching anything in your soul. I want you to buy the book because it's good for my long-term career, but mostly be I, I do things I do because I think they're actually helpful. And I think this is a season in life in which a lot of us are asking these questions and trying to figure out how to live well. I, this book is a great tool for you and it points you to other places. Uh, Heartsandmindsbooks.com, uh, one of my dear friends, Byron Borger. That is my favorite place for people to buy this book. If you go there, order from him. If you're more of a click, click, click kind of person, it's at Amazon. I think it might be on sale again at Amazon. I'm not sure. That happens off and on. But wherever you get the book, fantastic. Thank you. And see you again. Bye.